All right, well, good morning. Come on, who's excited to be here this morning? You excited to be here? Man, it is so good to see you guys. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us and hanging out with us. Thank you for being our guest today. We also want you to know that we are one church in three locations, and so we're so thankful for everybody right now in Ashland. Thank you for joining us there at our Ashland campus, and also in Grayson as well. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm telling you, I'm really excited about this series. I've actually been in this text today that I'm going to share with you all summer long, and today is basically just the introduction into this series. So if you, if you miss any of the next several weeks, I encourage you to watch it online, uh, check it out, download our app, because I, I really think it's an important message and messages that the Lord wants to share with us, and to, at least and to this local church body uh, today. And so have you ever been in a crowd before, and in this crowd, you had to be kind of weeded out, like someone begins to weed out the crowd? I'll never forget, I think I was, I can't remember exactly the time, but I believe it was a freshman in college, that's how old I'm getting right now, when you can't remember back, like, when you're that far across. It was right at the, maybe my freshman year in college, or the summer between my freshman and sophomore year. Uh, I, I was trying to think to myself, is college really for me? Is college, because you know, I'm really not the academic student, and, and you, know, you know, barely making it through school and doing okay, but I, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be... Know the second one to, to graduate maybe from a, from a college like this. So maybe this may not be for me. And I, I wrestle back and forth. Should I just drop out and get a job? Well, my buddy told me that finally, they haven't done it in a long time, that the railroad was hiring people. And so my childhood best friend growing up, his dad worked on the railroad. And to me, this was kind of back in the 80s. To me, you're thinking, man, you know, if you work on a railroad, you must make a lot of money because, man, they had an in-ground swimming pool. If you had an in-ground swimming pool in the 80s, come on now, like you roll or something, right? And you, and you had an in-ground swimming pool. And then when he, when he turned 16, he got a brand new Camaro. And I thought, man, if you got a brand new Camaro, something must be, you know, going well. Like something must be good. And so he, he said, man, you know, I heard they're hiring a the railroad. We should go and apply to work for the railroad. And at the time, I thought, man, that might be good if I, you know, drop out of college, get a job work at the railroad and, and make some good money. This could be my chance. And so they kind of briefed me a little bit on what they do during the interviews. I thought, okay. And they said, they try to weed people out, so make sure you have, you know, some, some, some stuff with you. And they, they gave a few things to take. And so I went there that morning. I got up and I got ready and uh, I went there. And when I got there, you would not believe the masses. There were so many people and they're only hiring just a few. And so this was a real big thing back in, this was Bingo County, right next to uh, uh, Pike County and there in South Williamson and Williamson, West Virginia. And so I'm sitting there in the, in the interview at, and the, the guy was speaking, there was a huge, large crowd, way, way more than people than here today. And so many people sitting there and the guy gets up and he begins to talk about the benefits of working on the railroad. And so, man, he's talking about the pay. I was like, oh, man, that's, I've never heard that much money in my life. And he's talking about the benefits and the, and the retirement and, and the pension and, and, and the health insurance. I'm like, well, I'm only 19. I probably don't need that right now. But, hey, that sounds really cool and good. And, 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 and then he starts to tell this story. He said, I know a lot of you are here because you're here for the benefits. And you heard that pays well. So let me tell you, give you an example of what's going to happen to you. He said, at nighttime, we're going to be traveling through the mountains of West Virginia, and the train's going to break down. And when it breaks down, guess who's going to get off the train to go figure out what's the problem? You. We're going to make you walk in the dark with the flashlight, checking every single cart as you go through this dark place, through the woods, in the middle of nowhere, and the mountains. Well, I'm like, well, I was raised in the mountains, so I, I used to ride motorcycles through the mountains. So, so far, I'm a little spooked, but not too bad. 
He said, however, what you don't know is that railroad tracks are notorious for rattlesnakes and copperheads. And you got to pay close attention when you walk through and make sure that you don't get bit by one of these. Well, I was over. that was over for me, man. I'm like, man, that's it. You don't have to go any further. And then they begin to weed people out. Today, if you don't have a pencil and a pen, stand up and walk out. Half the crowd gets up and walks out. I'm like, you just, some of the best people, you just didn't, they didn't bring a, do not prepared. I, I had that one because someone told me they're gonna ask that question, so I was ready. If you don't have paper and a notebook to take notes today, please stand up and walk out. And another big group of people walk out. I mean, they were just weeding people out and weeding people out. And he said, and if you've had a speeding ticket, Please stand up and walk out. I've never been so thankful in my life having a speeding ticket right here. I'm telling you, I was never, I was like, well, sorry, mom, they didn't take me. You know, I had a speeding ticket in, in my life. And so they were letting you know you better count the cost if you truly want to come and be part of the railroad system or work for us. And today I want to share with you that I believe a lot of times that we just don't count the cost of what it truly means to follow after Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in the New Living Translation. Go to Luke chapter 14, and for the next several weeks, we're going to be in this one specific passage, walking through this together as a church family, because I really believe there's some culture-shifting, life-altering, vision-changing direction for our faith family, our church body, over the next several weeks that I believe if we can catch this, if we can get this, we can really see a region transform from Carter County, from Boyd County, and, and Rowan County, and all around. We really believe that we could see life change happen and people's lives be changed forever. And so in this passage here in Luke chapter 14, I just want to set the background. This is just the story, the context of where we're heading so you understand what is taking place when Jesus begins to try, try to weed out the crowd. And Luke chapter 14, if you look in verse one, I have the New Living Translation if you wanna grab your Bible app. That's just the one I wanna read from today. We realize that today is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is on Saturday, and the Sabbath was a day to set apart to be holy, not to work on it, to do anything. So you prepare your meals on Friday, and then you would have enough to eat for the Sabbath on Saturday. And the first day of the week was on, Monday, was on Sunday, which was the day that Jesus got up out of the grave. And so now it's the Sabbath, and they're honoring the Sabbath. And one of the Pharisees, the religious people, the elite of that day, invited Jesus to come and eat dinner. Now, Jesus is like the, the, kind of like the guest of honor. Like, you know, if you have Jesus in your house, because you heard about the miracles, you heard about the stories, you heard about what he was doing. And so the Pharisee, the religious people, who really didn't agree with Jesus whatsoever, said, you know what, let's get to know this guy. Let's invite him over for dinner. And so they invite Jesus in in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse one, for dinner. And when Jesus got there, he realized there was a man whose legs and his arms were swollen. The Bible tells they had dropsy and something was you know, wrong with him and, and he was in pain and he's been suffering from this illness. And so Jesus looks at the Pharisee and the religious people of the law and he asks them a question. Now this is the guy who invites you to dinner. So this is the one that says, hey, come, because there's nothing more respectful and at this culture than to break bread with you. There's nothing more at this time for friendship of intimacy is that we would break bread. It's a big deal to, 
to invite someone over for dinner. And so Jesus looks at the guy who hosts, who invites him for dinner to the Pharisees, to the religious people, and said, is it lawful or does the law permit me or anyone to heal a person on the Sabbath? Now, if you're sitting there, you're caught up like, man, it'd be nice for that person to be healed, but man, we gotta obey the law. We can't do nothing on the Sabbath. And you know what the experts and the Pharisees and the religious people said? Nothing. They did not answer his question because they afraid they might answer wrongly. So Jesus grabs the man and he heals the man. He touches the man and says, now go on and, and leave. And he heals the man right in front of their eyes. Now you're sitting there thinking, well, that would be pretty fascinating, right? How in the world does that work? How does that happen? Then Jesus looks at them and he asks this question. If your son or your ox falls into a hole on the Sabbath, would you not go and pull them out of the hole? Would you not, would you, would you really obey the law to a point where you wouldn't grab your son or you wouldn't grab your ox out of the hole? And the Bible says they didn't answer him. Not one word. So then Jesus looks at the other guest who came in to eat with him. So this is all context, so you understand what's taking place here. And when Jesus noticed, it says here in verse seven, all those who will come into dinner with him. And, and, and Jesus looks at all the people and says, listen, when you are invited to someone's house for dinner, when you're invited to a wedding feast, when you're inviting over someone, don't rush and get the best seats at the table, which is at the head of the table, closest to the host, which means you are in the honors seat. Because what happens is you try to exalt yourself. And so if you come into this table and you're sitting at the guest at the honor seat and there's someone more distinguished than you has been invited, the host is gonna come to you and say, sorry, that seat is not for you. And then you're gonna have to get up, give them your seat, and you have to go all the way to the end of the table or seat at whatever seat's left over and you will be humiliated. Now imagine Jesus, man. He's just been invited to this dinner and he already insulted somewhat the religiously, religious people's intellect and now he looks at all the guests you've been invited and said, why you quickly try to get to the head of the table, right? I mean, and then he calls them out on it. He said, in fact, you should sit at the end and he says, you should take the lowliest seat so when the host comes out and sees you in the lowliest seat, says, why are you sitting there? Come, and now you can sit next to me, and then in front of everyone, you will be exalted. And then he makes a statement, which is the point of the parable. If you try to exalt yourself, you will be humbled. But if you will humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Jesus' half-brother James wrote that in James chapter four. He repeated what he heard his half-brother Jesus say. And then Jesus looks at the host. He said, man, what are you doing inviting just all your family and all your friends and all the rich people? Because what's gonna happen, the only way you can ever get rewarded from that, your reward is they're gonna invite you back over to your house, to their house and feed you. That's your reward. But instead, why don't you invite those who are crippled, those who are lame, those who are poor to come and eat? And then at the resurrection, God will reward you and that will be your reward. But then, this is so fascinating, then one of the guys sitting there heard this in verse 15. He said, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. So we know that someday that when Jesus comes and takes us, the church, to be with him, when, he, when we go spend eternity in heaven, there's gonna be a great banquet and a great feast. So this man says, well, is it gonna be a great day? 
When all of us are sitting around at the feast at the table in the kingdom of God, eating together, is that gonna be a glorious day? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. I love the storytelling of Jesus. Let me tell you this parable. Say a man calls this great banquet in this feast, which he's replying to himself here. And he sends out all these invitations. I want you to come and you to come and watch as everyone is welcome. Come, 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 come to this great banquet and feast. And he looks at his servants and his servant says, we will go deliver the invitation. And he goes out and he delivers the invitation. And the story reads in Luke chapter 14, if you wanna follow, you can with me, in verse 16. He said, the servants went out and says, I want to invite you to this banquet. And the first guy he comes to says, man, thank you so much for the invitation. You know what, I just bought a farm, I just bought a field, and I'm on my way right now to to check out the, the property that I bought. Would you just please excuse me from the banquet? He goes to the second guy, you can read right there in the text, and he goes, hey, we have an invitation to this wonderful banquet, we'd love for you to come be part of it, come and feast, come and dine with us, and the guy says, man, listen, I just bought like five pair of oxen, and um, I, I wanna test them out, I, I gotta test this, and I don't have time right now because I just bought these, these, these animals, and so thank you for the invitation, but could you please excuse me? Then he goes to a third person and said, would you please come? Here's an invitation, and you have a banquet. We'd love for you to come. And the guy said, man, I just got married, which is okay, right? We just got married, and we're still honeymooning, and I just don't have time to come to be part of this feast. Well, the servants come in, and they tell the master, master, um, we went out, and we sent out the invitations, and we told everyone about the party. We told everyone about the banquet, but everyone made excuses. And he was furious. He says, then I want you to go out and invite everyone. Go out to the highways, the country lanes, every nook, every cranny. I always wonder what a cranny is. I was like, what's a cranny? Nook and cranny, what's a cranny? Anyway, I'm sorry, my mind just wanders there sometimes. And he says, I want you to go out into every single place and I want you to invite everyone to come. Why? Look what it says. So that my house may be full. Jesus wanted the house to be full. And then he makes the point, which is the point of the parable. But for those that I invited and rejected the invitation, they will never, ever, ever taste one thing at this banquet. They will not be allowed to come in. Of course, the Pharisees didn't understand. They they didn't connect with that just yet. Which means if you reject the invitation, you will not spend eternity with me at this great banquet and then that was all background so here's the sermon let's get to the let's get to the point here then verse 25 and for the next several weeks this is the passages we're going to be in and verse 25 right on the heels of that it said a large crowd was following Jesus I just want to stop right there we have a large crowd there's hundreds and hundreds of people who show up, who watch online every single week. And we are so thankful that you're here. The text says that a large crowd was traveling with Jesus, was going along with Jesus. But there's two distinct differences of following Jesus and truly following after Jesus. And so what hit me is when I thought about this is who is in our crowd? 
Like who was in the crowd if you're thinking about the people following Jesus? Well, you know, there's, there's, there's the ones who are just curious. There's the excitement happening. Things are going on. This is just the place to be. You mean, if you hang out with Jesus, if you're hungry, he'll feed you. If you're hurt, he'll heal you. I mean, you, this is amazing. Where else are we gonna go? This is awesome. And so there's, there's a group of people who are just curious trying to check out this Jesus thing. And listen, the same is true today. There's several of you here today at one of our campuses or watch online, you're just curious. I'm just trying to check this thing out. I heard about some things that are happening. I heard about this kind of Jesus thing and, you know, and someone invited me to come and I'm just curious to see, you know, what's all the excitement about and really, you know, what's really going on? How could you be like one church in three locations and, and heard about this stuff? So I just wanna check this stuff out and listen, we are so thankful that you're here. You keep coming. But then there's some that are confused. Is this Jesus really who he says he is? Is God really truly real? And, and if God is real, why does he let bad things happen to good people? And you have all your theological questions, you have all your theological doubts, and you have some confusion about, hey, that seems to contradict because what Jesus says the church should look like and be is not how the church has looked like and acting today. And, and there's hypocrites and there's not hypocrites and, and all this stuff and there's fake. And, and you're like, I'm just confused about this whole Jesus thing because if you say and then you, but you don't act and then I see her out in public and how he acts in, at, at work and, and I, I'm still confused about this because if you say one thing but then you don't back it up how you live, there's something and you're here and you're, I'm thankful you're here but you're a little confused about it and you have questions just like they would back in today. And then there's some of you here, you're counterfeit. You're fake. In fact, you think you're saved but you're not. You're like Judas who follow close the things of Jesus, but he truly doesn't know Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that. In the parable when Jesus says there's wheats and there's tares, and you can't tell the difference between a wheat and a tear. There's people amongst you who look like Christian, talk like Christian, smell like Christian, but they're not Christian. That's why the Bible consistently says you must examine your heart to make sure you're in the faith. That's why the Bible says there are gonna be some people stand before God someday and say, didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I do the things you asked me to do? Didn't I serve? Didn't I tithe? Didn't I do the things you want me to do? He's gonna depart from me, I never knew you. And there's some counterfeit Christians here today, just like they were then. And that's why you need to examine your heart and yourself to make sure that you are in the faith to test to see. But then there's the committed and there are a few of them. They're the ones who goes, I'm gonna follow Jesus to the end, I'm gonna do whatever it takes, I'm gonna truly follow after, I'm truly seeking after Jesus, and I want to follow after him. And their hearts are truly committed. But that's a few in the crowd. And so, when you have a large gathering and a large crowd, because what you're about to see is Jesus is about to weed everybody out. Who's really into this? Who's playing church and who really wants to be the church? Who's here just checking off a box because I went, just to say I went because it's the thing the culture to do here in East Kentucky and I did, I did the thing, okay, me and God, maybe we're cool, I checked off the box, you know, I, I came. Or am I truly following after Jesus? So Jesus is about to turn around, about to weed out the people in the crowd to say, hey, listen, I'm glad you're following me, but have you even really counted the cost? Do you know what even I'm gonna ask of you if you're gonna follow me? Do you really know what it takes to come after me? And that's where we're gonna spend over the next several weeks. So I wanna encourage you to make sure that you're part of this to hear so you would check your heart and make sure that I am in the faith. 
that I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing the things because next week we're gonna talk about the fine print that most people just overlook because the problem is people has equated believing with following. And just because you believe don't mean you follow. And so we have to really look at what does it really truly mean to follow after Jesus. So look what he says here. He turns around to the crowd, the big crowd that's after him, following him. And then he makes probably maybe one of the most shocking statements in all the Bible. We should do a series on the shocking statements of Jesus because it would really shock you. And it may not shock you when you read this right now because we know the context of it on this side of the cross, but if you put yourself in the first century where family was the number one most important thing, the fastest way to be dishonored in your entire culture was to dishonor your family, your wife, your kids, or kids, dishonor your mother, your father. In fact, one of the greatest commandments in the Ten Commandments is to honor your mother and your father and the culture of family and the highest esteem in this culture was unbelievable. And Jesus turns around and he utters this shocking, shocking statement. He says to them in verse 26, you want to be my disciple. Isn't that why you're here? Isn't that what we really want as followers of Jesus is to be his disciple, right? To be a disciple of Jesus. If you want to be my disciple, now I want you to understand this. If is a condition. See that word if? That's a condition. If you, then I will. Condition is a, is a, it's a if is a condition and it's a choice. So it's your choice to choose this. No one's forcing this on you. No one's making you. It is your choice to do this. And I love that he says, if you, which is plural, which means he speaks to every single person in the crowd, whether you're confused, whether you're a sincere seeker, whether you are committed, whether you, you are counterfeit, whether you're just, hey, I'm just going with the flow and I'm curious. He speaks to every single one of you and this is available, watch this, for every single one of us. So he turns to the masses and he gives the condition, if you want to be my disciple. And at this time, you're thinking, okay, maybe I should be a disciple. They thought he was a rabbi. They, they, he was a rabbi, actually. And they follow him as a rabbi, as pupils and learners and disciples would follow a rabbi. He said, but if you really want to be my disciple, and listen to what he says. You must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and oh, guess who, the big, you know, number one in your life. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. What? Like, man, you know, what about this better life stuff, man? You know, I just wanna come in and feel good and praise the Lord, raise my hand. Like, I gotta hate my family. I gotta hate my spouse. I gotta hate myself. Now, the New Living Translation takes a liberty here and goes ahead and adds in the context of what he's saying in comparison. Because we know that if you hate your family, that contradicts everything that the scripture teaches. So we know that Jesus is not saying you're to hate your mom, your dad, that the way Matthew writes it is that you should love God more than you love your parents. Here's what he's trying to say. When people look at your life in comparison, your affection and love that you have for your family, which is unbelievable, right? The affection that you have and love for your family, in comparison should look like hate for the love and the affection that you have for Jesus. When you looked at your life, the number one person in your life that you love supremely is Jesus. 
And that's so different because the number one person you love in your life is yourself. The person you love supremely more than anybody else is yourself. We were wired that way. We were born that way. We have a culture and a world that wants to bend us that way. Whatever's good for you is good for you. You do you. It's all about you. It's all about how you feel. It's all about your life and your plans and, and what you want. Life is all about you. And Jesus says, in comparison to me, your love for me should look like hate to everything else. Now, he, obviously, he's not telling us to hate our family. So my question to you is, do you fully, completely, unconditionally love Jesus? Because what he's trying to get to, you're, the first mark of a true disciple is supreme love for Jesus. There should be no other match. There should be no other comparison. It should be so far in comparison for the love of him to the love of your family. And guess how much you really truly love your family. That just blows my mind because I know how much I love my family. And so I sat down with my kids. I sat down with my wife and I asked them. We were eating dinner. And I said, if someone came up to you and said, what's the top most important things, top five most important things to your dad? What would you say? And then I listened. Because what you talk about the most, what you do the most, what you act the most is how people are gonna recognize you. So there's no one closer to me than my own family. And so I asked them and I just embraced to hear what they would say. And everyone who went around said, the most important thing to my dad, the most important thing to my dad is his family. And I was so excited because my whole life, I wanted to make sure that I was with my family as much as I could be with them and they see the priority that dad has put on family. Before anything else, I love you all, but my family's before you. Before the church, before anything else. And so here's my 18-year-old going off to college this week. You know, here's my soon-to-be 16-year-old, my soon-to-be 12-year-old, and my little seven-year-old, and my wife. And they said, family is the most important thing to you. But what hit me was God wasn't first. Now, I didn't probe that. I, I, they may assume that. That might be a given. They may think, you know, well, obviously, Dad, you know, you obviously love God, you know. But if somebody said you, that would be your family. And so that hit me, that yes, I rejoice that that's what they came away with, but what about my affection and love for Jesus? Do I just assume people get that and see that and understand that? Or do I love my family more than him? I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm walking out with you. And so when I look at the mirror, who do I love supremely? Where does my loyalty lie? What is evidence to a lost, dying world when they see us? Because the reality is you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian today. You can't tell the difference between them. We're gonna talk a little bit more about this as the time comes, as the weeks come. But the question I want just to start this with today and leave you with today is do you love Jesus supremely? More than anything else in your life, how do you know that? How would you know that? You know, the Apostle John, he actually shares this. Listen to what he says. 
John 14, chapter, John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, then obey me. If you say you love me, then you will obey my commandments. And we have all kinds of commandments, right? Love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, forgive one another. I don't wanna forgive them, they hurt me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He says, if you love me, you obey me. Well, I love you, but I ain't gonna forgive them. Wait, wait, that, how do you say that? Well, I love Jesus, but then I won't? Wait, wait, then where's your Lord? Do you love him supremely? Because if you love me, you will obey me and you will keep my commandments. John goes on and writes this. This is fascinating. And we can be sure that we know him, watch this, if we obey his commandments. So many people say they know him. Here's how you say it. Here's how you know you obey my commandments. And look what he says. If someone claims, I know God, how? Watch it. If someone claims that I know God, but does not obey his commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly, watch this, show how completely they love him. That is how we know we're living in him. Those who stay, those who say they love God should live their lives. I love this as Jesus did, but literally it says, you should walk as Jesus walks which is the whole purpose of this series because that's the whole mission of our church is to help you walk with Jesus help you follow after Jesus so you can experience life with Jesus that is our mission and that's what God has commanded us to do and so as we begin this series walk this way are you walking in the way of supremely loving Jesus more than anything else. Because he says, if you, you cannot be my disciple, which is a shocking, shocking statement. John 3, 36 says this. If anyone believes in God and his son has eternal life, Salvation's free. Can't earn it, can't be good enough for it. You can't read the fine print enough to check the dot and say, salvation costs you nothing. It costs God, his son. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. And it will cost you to truly follow after Jesus. And he says, if anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life and anyone who doesn't obey, you see here John sees obey and to believe to be synonymous here. If you believe, then you obey. If you don't obey, then how do you say you believe? And those who do not obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. Goes back to what Jesus says, the one who has been invited and they rejected the invitation, you will not have eternal life with me. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of the invitation. If you hear God's voice and he's drawing you, whether you're confused or you're trying to figure this out, respond to the invitation before it's too late. And you will have eternal life. Here's my point. If you say you love Jesus and believe in Jesus, then you will obey Jesus. 
And this series is about, are we fully trusting and obeying Him? And I believe if you'll hang with us for the next few weeks, we're gonna end this in September. We have Clayton King coming. We're gonna be preaching the end of September. I believe you will walk away with this, fully understanding the fine print, what it costs to follow Jesus and what he asks of you and how you could be a catalyst and changing the next generation and the next generation generation if we truly, truly follow him. I'm gonna ask if you would bow your heads. I don't know who's in the crowd, whether you're at Ashland or or Grayson or watching us online, but I do ask you to examine your heart. Am I truly following Jesus? And if so, why? Why am I I following him? And maybe you're here for the very first time and maybe you're just checking this God's up. Why don't you just ask God, say, God, open up my heart and my mind to hear from you. I don't know, I'm confused. I still got questions. I just don't know, but I'm curious. Why don't you just say, God, won't you speak to me? Open up my heart. Help me see. And for some of you, maybe this morning he did. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation, that today you can believe because salvation is free. You can't earn it, you can't pay for it, you can't work for it, can't serve enough for it, can't give enough for it. It's a free, you just have to receive it. But to follow truly after Jesus will cost. And that's what this series is about, is counting the cost. So if you're here today or you're watching online or one of our campuses and God's opened your heart, then respond. Say, Jesus, I believe. Right now, tell him, say, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And right now, as best as I know how, I put all my faith in you. I repent of all my sin. Now, please help me count the cost and follow you for the rest of my life. If that's you, please, right now, cry out to him. And you just hang tight through this series with us because we want to help you walk out your next steps and do our very best to help you walk how Jesus walked and live how Jesus lived, which is the mission of our church. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you so much for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for going ahead of us. You prepared the way. Lord, through this series, help us to learn to walk the way that you walk. Help us be a people that when the world sees us, they know we're just different. They know we're, something's different. How we love, how we talk, how we act, how we behave the world will see you in us and they will glorify you and they'll come to know you as the Lord and Savior so Holy Spirit have your way 
and lead us in the way of Jesus. For it's his name we ask and we pray. Amen.